Hey everybody, this is JP Ross, back to you with another episode of In The Scene Podcast. Today's guest is Mike Grazaday, and I actually have been waiting a long time to try to get this podcast up, because um, there's a lot of hidden... There's a lot of hidden stuff with Mike. Now, first thing we want to talk about is being a fly angler and the different levels of being a fly angler. I associate this with someone that is a craftsman, not gender specific, but I'm going to use the word craftsman. There are people that scrapbook and there are people that scrapbook. There are people that cook and there are people that make a craft out of cooking. And for those of you that know me... I am a builder of fly rods. I haven't made one. I haven't made a thousand. I've made thousands. The reason I say this is because when I start building a fly rod from start to finish, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing when I'm making this rod. And I have made so many mistakes over the years of making these things that I have a pretty good sense of what to do if something's not going the right way and how quickly I can be agile and make the material do what I needed to do. I would associate this with people that do woodworking, cooking, um, anything like that where they're dealing with stuff where they've made a lot of mistakes and they consider that what they're doing is a craft. It is a craft because they have a lot of uh, intuition on what is going to happen and they have a lot of context in regards to their experience. Now, this being said, this is a big lead-in to Mike, and I want to try to explain this. So, Mike Grazaday is this guy that is kind of, uh, he's quiet, he's humble, and when he fishes, he has a purpose in regards to what he's doing. Now, I gotta say, I have not fished with Mike, but I've known him for a long time, and I've had enough conversations with him to know that when it comes to angling, There's a purpose and a reason to what he's doing. And when I first met Mike, it was when I went to the the vet. And my black lab, Montana, uh, was having a checkup or whatever. Something was going on with her. I can't remember what it was. And there was Mike. And he walked into the office and um, he took the dog. He was really, really gentle talking to Montana in a really calm voice. And Montana, you know, God rest her soul, she lived to be 15. And, I mean, the dog, like, could do geometry. I mean, she just was, she was just a super, super smart black lab. She did, she knew so many commands, but she was very, very intuitive when it came to uh, people. And she liked Mike, and she liked a lot of people, and there were other people that would walk into the fly shop, and maybe one in a thousand uh, would walk in, and she would act like there's a problem, and I would be like, huh, okay, there's something going on with this person. But nearly everybody she was happy to see. So Montana took a big liking to Mike. The fact that she did that made me take a liking to Mike. Now, later on, I found out that he was a fly angler and he came into the shop and I got to know him and um, built a rod for him and the story goes on and on. The point of all of this, of what I'm trying to say, is that this podcast we talk a little bit about with Mike, who is a big fish hunter and he's good at it. 
He's fished on the Niagara River, which is really hard to do. It's like the equivalent to trying to fish on uh, the Cape Cod Canal. And he also is a steelhead angler. However, as the story progresses with Mike Rosaday today, you're going to hear how he's changed in regards to what is more important to him, or maybe I should say what is more meaningful to him in regards to his experience. Because you'll hear the story of how he says that fishing alone by himself on his local river, he would say is more fulfilling today at the age that he's at and where he's at in life than going to a crowded steelhead river. Is that to say that, uh, you know, going to catch a brown trout on a dry fly is better than catching a steelhead? You know as well as I that the only person that's going to answer that question is you. However, I will say that there's something to be said about listening to a person talk about this that is a craftsman in regards to fly fishing. And when I hear somebody like that talk about how the the solace, the solitude, the peace, the enjoyment that he gets from going to the river and not seeing anybody and maybe catching a fish or maybe not catching a fish, but essentially waiting and hunting a fish that he sees rises, it's inspiring to me. It makes me want to do it. It makes me want to be out there and, and go through the same thing because going on a steelhead river or going on a salmon river and knowing that the fish are there and that you might catch some of these fish and stuff, is a, it's just a different feeling. And I don't think that it resonates as well in your soul about why you're outside. So Mike articulates some of this, and I want to set up the story. I went over to Mike's apartment, and we walked up the stairs. He's a simple guy, um, great place. And as soon as we get in there, he he goes right in the other room, and he gets a bunch of rod tubes. And starts talking about these rods, the J.P. Ross rod that he found. And, and that's how this whole podcast starts. I had to quick grab my recording device and hook up the, and just like turn it on. And I just started recording. And I'm like, you know what? This is how I'm going to start the podcast. So you're going to hear Mike talk about these rods and stuff. And it's just cool because you hear him talk about them. Then he moves into this wall of fish mounts. That he has, and I'll put a picture of this on social media so you can get an idea. And there's all these all these awesome fish mounts that he has, and we start talking about the stories about these fish. So, this is the podcast with Mike Grazade, and you got to get to the end when you hear him start talking about what he enjoys most about fly fishing. So, here we go in the seam podcast with Mike Grazade. Yeah, what is this? Is old. This is one. No, this one. Somebody told me that they. Um, somebody called me and said, "Do you know anything about J.P. Ross fly rods?" And I said, "Yeah, I actually have a couple of them." He goes, "Well, I got one. I don't fly fish. Are you interested in it?" I said, "Sure. How much you want for it?" He says, "Fifty bucks." I said, "I'll be right over." Fifty bucks. Yeah, look at this thing. It's brand new. Oh my God! The yeah, shrink wrap is yeah, still on it. Yeah. This was a kid I went to high school with. He oh knew I fly gosh. fish. You're kidding me. He knew I fly fish, so. Oh my God! It's an old 36T. So the serial number starts with 04. So that's 2004, and you know what this is, right? It's an eight foot four. Eight weight. foot four weight. Yeah. yeah. 
So this is rod number 2615. This Today, this morning, I wrote 7,456. Oh, really? Okay. So that's how many more have been made since wow. this one. Nice. Isn't that cool? This yeah, thing is like a oh, Holy yeah, cow, look at new. that. Yeah, it's got all the... So it's got... How many feathers are on here? Holy know. good it's lord. Got, uh, then you had... Wow, that's awesome. Have you used it? No, no, I haven't even used it. This would be nice for like a nymphing rod or something or on the West Canada well, or some smaller it. stream. Yeah, I haven't even, yeah. I hate seeing clean cork candles. Yeah, I know, like, but I know. That's like, you know, it's like a, it's like a Bible that creeps. And I don't even want to mess with it. It's brand new. It is. I can't, I don't have those, I'm that, I don't do any two-piece blanks anymore. And yes, I, I used to sew, I used it's to nice sew those you bags. get to see this because, yeah. because I, you know. And 2004, so that came from the shop. That's That was made right over here in the shop. That's what? Two, three hundred yards from yeah. here. Okay, so the story progresses. The meeting progresses. And we move over to Mike's wall. And Mike starts talking about the fish on his, his wall, these fish mounts. So you got to picture us standing there we still haven't even sat down we haven't seen each other in years and immediately i'm enamored with you know he brings these rod tubes over he's got a fly rod that like was hasn't been touched essentially since 2004 still has a shrink wrap on it and then we move into the fish mounts so here's here's the story as as it plays out all right so starting up here you got a huge brown right i'm gonna take a picture of these so that so yeah, cool. so tell us about Tell us about these fish, because they're, um, they're well, these, beautiful. Yeah, these are all Lake Ontario-run fish, tribs. And I don't know, I think that one was caught in the Salmon River, the brown trout. These two were caught in the Genesee River. This, I'm not even sure if that was caught in, I think, the one of the lake uh, Finger Lakes tribs. Well, so, yeah, brown trout is, these are all... Trib fish, right? Right. Yeah. And when you say trib fish, they're either Great Lakes trib or Finger Lakes. Trib? Great Lakes trib, Lake Ontario trib, but Lake that one was a, a Finger Lakes trib. The Atlantic salmon. Atlantic salmon, yeah. And that was a what great what Finger Lake trib was that? Not Q no, not what trib? What Cuga Lake? Cuga Lake. Yeah. Okay. So that's a beautiful mm -hmm. Atlantic salmon. Yeah. The brown is enormous, and you're saying these mounts are old. Yeah, they were done probably, well, the, actually, the date's probably on the back of them. Like, like 10 years old? 10 years ago? Over that, yeah. Just over 10 years old. Okay, yeah. but none of these are Niagara. No, no. Most of your Niagara fish were uh, Lakers, weren't they? Yeah, we, we hit that stream probably just like a week straight, and that was it. You know, I never really went back there because of the, just it's a, it's a haul up there, but... We were catching mainly, we went up there for browns and steelhead, but we were mainly catching lakers. We hit like a laker run or something up there, so we were catching mostly big laker. Lake and was trout. that above or below Niagara Falls? Below. That was the Art Park area of the Niagara. It was a, I think that it was a state park, it was called Art, Art Park. Uh -huh. Kind of like below the Devil's Hole, I think it was. Okay. So. Were you from fishing from shore? Yeah, well, they run up to, you know, they don't run, I mean, the, the river's are huge, I mean, the river's... Yeah, the river is huge, that's one of the reasons I, mean, I wanted to talk to you about this, is because it's like, when you came in, you used to come in and show me, you didn't do it one year, you did it more than one year, the Niagara yeah, stuff. I don't remember exactly. But your fish, your, you got, do you still have pictures of those fish? 
Those light trout. Some of them, yeah. I think those light trout you were catching were like, they were so, they would like fold yeah. over your fingertips. They yeah, my so friend caught one criker had to be about 30 pounds. And the thing is, is they run, uh, you know, up the sides of the They don't run in the middle, you know, so. But, um, it's close to shore. Yeah. You know, was but it it's rocky? deep, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to get a drift because you can't get down, you know, you got to get down deep and it's hard to get down unless you add weight to your to your rod. So it's were not, you fishing weighted lines? No, we were fishing just regular lines with weight added, like really? split shot added, yeah. Wow. What made uh, you want to go to the Niagara, just to try it? Just to try it. We heard it was good fish in there, you know. We didn't know how good you could do it with a, without offshore. Yeah. But there's some places in those parks, like Art Park, Devil's Hole State Park, World Hole, Whirlpool Hole State Park, where you can fish from shore. Uh -huh. There's little pocket areas and little areas you can get, kind of get out there. And there's a lot of like drift boats that, you know, they, they'll run up and then they'll drift down and then they'll run up and drift down. Yeah, it's a real, it's, I mean, it's an amazing river. It's unbelievable, you know. I mean, it's not an easy river to fish offshore unless you know, a lot of guys had float rods or something. I'm surprised you even remember that. that yeah, because it was so, it was, there was, it was such a huge impression on me because of those big lake trout that you caught. Plus, I never yeah. hear of anybody fishing in Niagara. Yeah, we haven't fished it in a while. I think it's just a, well, like, you know, it's a hit with these tributes, it's a hit and miss thing with the river, with the yeah. levels and the runs and everything. And then, you know, are you going to have, are you going to have the time off to drive there, that particular Right. Time, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but we never caught quite out that far. Okay, so now we move over to the couch, and I actually really started recording the podcast with Mike and started asking him questions about, you know, why he fishes and what he likes to do and all that stuff. So, here this comes. Talk a little bit about yourself, because you've been fishing a long, long time. And you're, I mean, you're a really great angler. And very humble, because we don't hear that much about you, but you certainly, whenever you put a picture up, it's like, holy shit. But tell, it's, tell it's, us about when you, when you started fishing, how you got into fly fishing and all that stuff. And are you a big fish hunter, too? I want to hear about that. I think you're a big yeah, fish Yeah, I, I like the bigger fish, but um, mainly, you know, five years old, just like anybody else, out on the pier, catching a perch, sunfish, and then that was pretty much it. Never, never left me, you know. Never looked back. You know, just one of those things where you get... I mean, you get involved in a lot of things in your life, hobbies, different things, but fishing always just, you know, it's in your blood, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you could not fish for, I could not fish for years, and it's still my favorite thing to do. And fly? You know, Did you get into fly? Young? Fly fishing, yeah. Fly fishing I probably got into probably, I would say, t 20 years ago, and then I kind of mi migrated mainly towards that. Uh, I'm, 40, I'm 45, you're we're about 49, yeah. Yeah, so we're close. Yeah. And then, uh, so you're in your 20s, yeah, when you started fly fishing, yeah, probably, yeah. And because I wanted to, you know, kind of kick it up a notch, you like something so much, you want to take it to another level, you want to see, you know, kind of like the difference between. So, holy shit, when you started coming in the shop, it was that you were kind of almost like just kind of getting into it because I've been doing it 25 years I for started, the fly fishing, yeah. maybe, yeah, yeah. And then I started this, you know, the salmon, the steelhead was my passion, and fly fishing for steelhead, just amazing, salmon river and all the rivers, but over the years, you know, getting up three in the morning to, to, to get a spot, it just what kind of wears on you, so, <laughs> yeah. 
I just, uh, you know, then even if you get a spot, you got guys that are, you know, basically, you know, touching you. Right. You know. Right. So that, that got me more into wanting to kind of scale it down and fish the dry flies in the West Canada mm-hmm. and the Delaware and stuff. It's you, mainly... Did you, did you try to explore and find new places in regards to, like, Steelhead, the Great Lakes Tribs? Stuff like that, or were you like, I'm just going to go where everybody says to go? No, I mean we try. I mean, you're going to go where the fish are too. You know, if you got yeah. a weekend and you only got this day to fish, you kind of want to, like I was saying with the early getting up early thing, you kind of want to run where you, you know, you can catch a fish or you know that the chances are good, mm-hmm. and those are all the popular spots. Right. You know. So, but like I says, as I got older, it got. Um, Less fish and more solitude yeah. was was a little bit what I you know. So tell me about we'll we'll get in a little bit more into the past, mm-hmm. but this year, this year you obviously you were trying to embrace the solitude thing. You got a rod from me because you had intent to try to fish dries and had a chance of a big fish on light tippet. Yeah. What did you do this year? Tell us a story about this year. Well, I mean this year. You know, it was kind of like even though with the COVID, it was like any other year for me, for a fisherman, you're out there alone anyway, pretty yeah. much, or you're out there and, and outside, you're not around people. So that didn't change anything. So I went up, you know, I kept fishing, the, I would say probably the West Canada the most because it's right where I work. It's a nice fish, uh-huh. beautiful area up there. So, you know. Um, How were the flows? Um they're up and down there. I mean, it's it's. A I think it's tough. worse than it's yeah. been. Personally. I mean, I've walked in there and it looked perfect, and then by the time I got my stuff together, you know, the, the water was creeping up on me. So yeah. then I ended up having to walk out and be like, right. "Okay, we'll see your river view tomorrow." <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I know. you know, you know, and they're not posting very very well. You know, yeah, but. but it's a real nice area. It's just that when you look at the graph, you can see it's just like this. It's hard to. Did you try to hit hatches or just fish when you could? Just when I could. I mean, my thing is just like being somebody that likes to catch the bigger fish. If I see a fish rise and it's a bigger fish, then I'll stay on the fish for hours. I'm not, you know, there'll be guys walking in and out. And if that fish is rising, even if it's rising every 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to sit there and try and catch it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the thing. When you see the pictures of me holding the fish, that, that when it took me, you know, five hours to catch that one fish you know yeah but that fish that i sent you or the picture that one yes that fish i was fishing to for maybe three hours finally it it took you know mm-hmm. on a dry yeah yeah and you don't find that you put them down if you see a big fish like that that if you stay casting to them you don't well, you don't put them down or move them out or like, oh, tell, what's, your, what's, your, what's your tactic? So you see a fish, you see a big fish, you suspect he's big. Yeah. You then what happens? Well, if he's rising, then he'll rise, and I'll just put some flies over him, and then I'll just, if he doesn't come up, I'll wait. I'll just sit there in the water and just wait. You know, for him to and, show himself. Right, again? and then he'll come up again, and then I'll put a few more flies over him. Okay. You know, so it's not a necessarily like that's the kind of fly fishing I find myself doing is because you know there's not necessarily a hatch you're not necessarily at a prime time in the day right so a lot of these fish are so you're not pounding this fish mike you're 
You're right. throwing a couple flies, conscious of the fact that you don't want to put them down. Right. If it doesn't take after, say... Just, you just wait. You wait. Yeah. And hope that... And often do they show themselves again? Yeah. And then that's that's when you... when you Like, I can sit there and keep throwing stuff over them, but it's when they come up... A, it's when they come up and right after that is when you're likely to, mm-hmm. to get them. But then after I'll put a couple of things in, he won't come up, then I'll just wait. Will you stay in the water and wait, or will you get on the Just bank wait right there, so I'm right there, so nobody else walks in, or I'm right there in position for when he comes up again, I'll just, and you, you know, just wait. Yeah. yeah. What happened, what, is, what does your mind do when you're doing that? Talk to yourself. Okay. You know, your <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not, I mean, it's boring. It's to, you know, it's... Well, but, I, I mean... But I mean, it, to a lot of people, it, it wouldn't, you know... It must be peaceful, though. Yeah. So what have you observed... What's what have you seen while you've been kind of like a heron just sitting there waiting? Is there any cool stories you've got on that? Like you're just kind of sitting there. It's thirty minutes in between rises, and you've seen anything cool? Well, yeah, just being out there. I mean, now like with the COVID thing, you know, everybody wants to go out and experience the, the nature and everything. But you know, it's like you know, we've been doing that our whole lives fishing. You know, you're you're out there during sunset, sunrises. All the nature, the birds, the eagles, you, you're right there for it all, you mm-hmm. know. And so you're basically experiencing all that, you know, at the same time. So yeah. it's like, you know, I mean. It's funny. It literally, like, not funny like odd. It's funny as in it's amusing because a lot of the older anglers when I was younger would do what you're doing. Yeah. And now here we are in our 40s approaching 50 and here's what we do we go out on the river and we hang out like this old guy waiting yeah. for this fish to rise and it's pretty rewarding huh and uh, yeah because if you catch that fish it's worth it even if you stood there for me it is even if you stood there for four hours or five hours to catch you know mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's yeah. just you know i did that on my birthday on my birthday i went down and i caught a nice one now, there was only that fish was only rising once every 15 20 minutes but finally I walked in there about three o'clock in the afternoon caught the fish about seven o'clock you know mm-hmm. and, and time of year was that dusk I assume that was right before the you know kind of like the dog days of summer that was in June end of June yeah it was around yeah. seven yeah have you hit the black also no I'd like to try that you did know. you ever fish the black not for no. Well, I mean, I full I did fish a little bit over here in Forceport area with my son. Mm-hmm. You know, with spinners and stuff. Just you know, but I'd like to fish that for. I've heard that you can get some nice dry fly so fishing through there. Your house here is pretty much almost on the banks of the Sequoia Creek. Have you hit this at all? When I was younger, that was one of the streams I'd fish a lot. You that's know. that's still fishing pretty good, yeah. you know. Surprisingly. Yeah. And there's not a lot of guys fish it. No. It doesn't seem like, you know, years ago when you could, you know. Um, so how about changes through the years? Even on the tribs, the, you know, fishing the tribs, possible climate change, habitat change, things like that. Have you seen anything over the years? I, I will, I'll lead the witness a little bit because I have seen the hatches on the West Canada Creek don't seem to be as strong as they used to. And I believe that a lot of that's flow related because the flows are so erratic. Well, yeah, but what have you seen? Yeah, the same thing. I've never seen fantastic 
we have, I mean, you can, well, I can't compare it to the Delaware River. That's a whole different ball game. That's a different monster up there. I don't know if you've ever fished there, but the hatches there are just, you know, a lot different. But I've always viewed the West Canada as, um, you know, more of a, you know, fish here, here or there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I have the same thing, really. Especially, I think, the last couple of years I've noticed that, that, you know, towards night you wait and you don't quite get that that golden hour, sort of, sort of speak, mm-hmm. like you used to, you know, maybe years ago. Right. You know. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, the, the tribs seem to be on a downtrend, downtrend with steelhead. I don't know if that's partly for the stocking or whatnot. But. I'm not sure, but I know people have said that that it's been an issue. I mean, Matt Donardo was on the podcast talking about the browns and stuff. I haven't heard that there's been any decline or anything with the brown trout on the big tribs. Did mm-hmm. you ever do that type of stuff for the big browns? Once. I mean, the Salmon River occasionally used to, years ago, have big runs of brown trout. Not so much anymore. They Mainly the steel and the salmon have kept pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I've taken some trips out west to the, what is it, uh, Oak Orchard, yeah. Sandy Creek, the ones out yeah. west of Rochester. Um, and it was good when I went, but there's also a lot of people. Okay. So it's a matter of, you know, like I said, that's also more of a timing thing with the mm-hmm. water level, which I think this year was a good year to go. I just never made it out there because of those few nice rains we got. Yeah, it was a wet year. Yeah, it seemed like a nice year to be out there, but I just haven't got. I didn't get a chance to get out there. So how about um, uh, um, you know, like we're I'm sitting here in your living room. Here's your your vice, and you got. I got my stuff down there. Is where I yeah. Tie. I mean, I'm looking at your flies, and you ain't tying dry flies, man. Right? No, no. Well, those aren't. Yeah, I mean, you I tie eggs, dry flies, but tie, the, the steelhead flies are a heck of a lot easier to tie than than the dry flies. So, can you, you know? divulge any any secrets on tactics and stuff? You're 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 kind of a big fish magnet. I wanted to try to extract something out of you. Like, do you well, use split shot? Do you not? One fly? You know, tell us. Well, for the for the dry flies, a lot of times I do cheat. Sometimes I will buy some flies because <laughs> they're just so. You know, finding the time to do it, and it's, yeah. you know. Um, but the steelhead flies are very simple. I mean, I mean, as simple is where I go with, with the thing, you know, and that's just a, you know, sucker spawn pattern is what I like to use a lot. With different colors. No, they're just unweighted. Yeah. And these are, I mean, these are kind of my more junkier flies, but. Okay, so here comes Confession. Bless me, Father, I have sinned. It's been a while since I've admitted that I really don't fish for steelhead that much, and I really don't know what a sucker spawn pattern is, and I really don't know how to tie egg-sucking leeches or any of this stuff. So here I am in this room, and I'm seeing all these flies, and I'm telling you, like, hundreds and hundreds of flies that Mike has tied. They're all orderly put together in his box, and I'm a little bit enamored, and I'm definitely a little bit intimidated. I'm not going to lie, because all these fly patterns... I don't really fish that much, and I really don't know how to fish them, but I'm sitting here with this guy up on the wall as all these huge fish mounts, and I'm like, holy cow, there is so much more to learn. And thank God I got I got Mike that, uh, you know, can help me out. I got a lot of other friends, too, that know how to do this stuff. So you just got to kind of picture what's going on here. 
Here, we'll keep the conversation going. Mike just left the room. He went to get some other boxes, and, and here, we're going to talk about it more now. You know. So these are some of the steelhead type stuff. And this I is tied. all? This, this is stuff that I tied. Okay, so this is a steelhead box. So you've got a lot of nymphs on here. And those are... And more so spawn. So I keep it pretty... Sucker spawn nymphs and egg-sucking leeches, right? Yeah. What do you like better, the nymph-type patterns or the spawn? I like... The spawn patterns, it just seems like the fish, to me, they hit them more aggressively. I don't know if that's just because I use them more. but And I like fish in fast water. And, I want to take a picture and, of this. Can I know, take a picture yeah. of your box? Yeah. So you've got all these shades of, of spawn flies. Yeah, and I only have one favorite. Do you? Yeah. What is it? Uh, probably the orange Really? Yeah, the oranges. I was going to ask you, like, so why the different colors? Just to make the box look nice. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because no, you get bored? They'll, they'll all work. They'll all work, though. Uh-huh. These work a lot sometimes, you know. And, yeah. Um, I mean, you even got some blue, like bluish ones over here. Yeah, those are, I mean, they'll all work. These ones work good in the wintertime. Oh, these do work in the wintertime, is what I find in the white ones. So if you had to only pick one out of these two boxes, what would it be? Probably the the golden. They call that golden with um, Oregon cheese. Is what I have in there. Spawn pattern. Yeah. Wow. And are you a floor fluorocarbon or not fluorocarbon? No, I never got sold on the fluorocarbon. I always thought that it was um, more. Uh, I just felt that it broke easier. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as strong. So I just even with the fly fishing, I use a you know a six x tippet. 5x tip, but I won't buy, you know, tapered leader. I won't buy the fluorocarbon one. Mm-hmm. You know, I have bought, bought them before, but I just haven't found any, a lot of difference in it. Mm-hmm. So why, why I don't spend the extra money. But some guys swear by it. Yeah. You know, I have a friend that swears by it, and, and he uses that, and I use my stuff, and he, you know. No one's catching any more than the right. other guy. What's in this box? The same stuff. It's just the. Same thing? Yeah. So what are these? What these? Are, can I grab one of these? Yeah, I just made that. Is, I don't even know if it really... So are these a, squirmies or something? Yeah, that's like a... My kids have tons know, of these. I mean, it's a real fly-tying material, but I don't know where exactly where I... Have you caught any fish on these yet? I, I don't think I have. I don't think I've used it. It's like a these. worm. It's a, you know, you guys can't see this, but it's like a silicone wormy kind of thing coming off some estads with a bead head, which I can take a picture of, too. And I, my kids, just for um, Thanksgiving, my aunt got the kids, like, look like a pack of ramen noodles, mm-hmm. but they were these silicone noodles. Oh, really? Okay. Well, so I snagged the pink one. They, I, I told them that we couldn't find it, but I actually took it. But oh, okay, yeah. So I was going to actually uh, make some, like, a little worm, San Juan worms with it. I'm curious if this works. So this is for, like, a steelhead thing. I yeah. I use these for... I bet they'll work in the spring, though, on trout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, you know, basically a simple type pattern. And you just, you know, these I don't use as much. Um, Although sometimes they work. No streamers, huh? Other than those? No, I haven't gotten into too many streamers other than, like, the Willie Burgers. I have had some, you know, uh, some of the Zonker... uh, flies that I tie to imitate some, you know, whatever, alewives or whatever kind of, you know. But 
I don't think I have any of those that I've had, but I've used those before. If you had a choice between um, fall Great Lake trib fishing or staying kind of on some of the rivers and doing the dry flies, what, what do you what do you prefer? I would say, well, there's nothing like catching a fresh steelhead on a fly rod and, and you know, 10, 15, 20-pounder, just, mm-hmm. you know. But it's I'm, I'm getting more towards the, like, it's all relative to where you catch the fish. Like, when I caught that 22-inch brown on a 6X tippet with a number whatever, 20-something, I don't know if it was an olive I hit, was using or, or, a, or a sulfur, that was pretty... So you know, t- so, I mean, if you caught so that twenty-two-inch fish on the Great Lake Trib, you'd be like, you know, get off my line, kind of thing. But yeah. you catch it on on a small stream like that, it's like a. You so know. that fish was a twenty-two-inch brown. Mm-hmm. On what size tippet? Six X. Yeah. It was six X. You yeah. get six X through a twenty-two, or something like that. It was a wicked small fly, wasn't it? Um, I don't know if it was a. Was it? it wasn't twenty. It was probably a. I don't remember. I mean, I had my box in there. It was a, it was a small olive, or I think it was a small olive that I caught that one on. So what, how did you get that? Tell, tell me that story. It was the same thing. The fish was just rising at the, at the bank, you know. I mean, I knew it was a decent fish. You know, I knew it was somewhere between 15 and more than that. No hatch know. going on? No. Didn't see any bugs? Just a random... Random rising fish? Right, yeah. I mean, whatever they were rising, it was something small. You know, there was no hatch going on. Occasional, you know, like caddis or something, you know. But I find that, you know, when they're rising like that, usually you can entice them to bite. You know, I find it's almost like I catch some, sometimes I catch more fish when there's not even a hatch versus when there is a hatch. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes with the hatches, they get really keyed in on certain, Right. you know. Yeah. Not so much on the, De- uh, the West Canada, but the Delaware is a little more. They get a little more selective out yeah. there. Do you do? You, you know? still go to the Delaware? Yeah, every so often because it's not too far. I mean, it's an hour and a half. Right. That's the thing around here is that in New York, I mean, the fishing's unbelievable. I mean, any kind of fish you want to catch, quality too. I mean. Yeah, if you if you draw a circle around where we are right now, uh, and a two hour drive. Right. We got a lot of places to yeah. go. A lot of places yeah. to go. Um, so you got this fish, you're, you're disclosing where it was? Or no? The, the West Canada, was, was it one West, that I sent you? Yeah. yeah, I just want to make sure yeah. you were okay with that. Yeah. So that was a West Canada brown. Yeah. And how was the fight? Good, yeah, real good. Yeah. Was it long? Yeah, it was pretty long. Well, I mean, it was, you know, a 6 x tip with a 20-something Yeah, no, did you, so did you put the meat to him or, or took it easy on him? Well, I mean, as much as I could, you know, but, you know, it's hard by yourself to, to land the fish, too. I mean, I have a net, but it's hard when you're, you know, when you got the long leader, it's, you don't want to really reel your leader into your guides. You're always it takes, very... You, takes back off, and you, you know, what you try and, you know... You're always, like, kind of stoic in your pictures. You know, you like, you, you, you're, you kind of always have the same look. you got this humongous fish. And yeah. you know you're doing your handsome little smile thing, and it looks great. But oh. were you freaking excited with that? Oh yeah, yeah. That one fish, I just sat there and I was like, I just sat. I remember sitting there after I released it. I remember just sitting there on the log for a minute, being like, "We but wow. alone." Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty cool feeling. It's yeah. nice to know that there's that they're there. Yeah, and it's nice to know that the, you know you catch and release area is nice because you know you know the fish are getting released and yeah. 
you know. But yeah, for that day, I mean, there wasn't many guys on the river at all. You know, a couple of guys came in and out, you know. But, you know, plus these big fish, you can hardly see them sometimes rise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to really be looking sometimes. You know what I mean? I mean, you, yeah. you just... I've noticed that, at least on the West Canada and when I used to fish at Delaware, that the bigger fish would, like, nose or dimple. They didn't yeah. really splash. Right. So you had to kind of, like, know what you're looking for. And you have to intently um, be looking. Right. Especially if there's a little ripple on the water or there's something, then it's even right more difficult. Are know? there any any secrets to that, to trying to... Uh, like, when you get to the river, are you uh, get my waders on, I know where I'm going, and get right to the hole and start casting? Or do you get there and, like, sit no, down? No, you, yeah, you get there and just sit and watch. I mean, really, you can't, you know. Cause well, lo- for what, five minutes? Ten minutes? Until you see something? Well, if I'm fishing, like, certain spots that I know that there's fish in there, and yeah. I know something's going to rise at some point, I tend to wait there a lot longer, mm-hmm. you know. Especially, like I said, a lot of times when you go out, there's not a hatch going on. There's not fish going, you know, all over. Right. You know. But, like, if you look on the, you know, there's always a bank, you know, where the trees overhang. And there's always those fish along that bank that you just stare long enough and you'll see one just come up. And and they're usually a bigger fish. And they're hard to spot, but once you once you get an idea of what they look like, then you can kind of get your position. You know, you can walk in. You can either figure out where you want to go, what's the best strategy to cast to them, and you know. So spending time on the water, waiting and watching, is important because it's taken you years to learn these rise forms, hasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, you walk in, and you look at it, okay, there's nothing going on, and then you leave. But no, I mean, like I said, I've, you got, it takes a long time before, you know, something could rise. Yeah. You know. Have you noticed fish? I got two questions for you. One is how you mark where the fish is. I want to get to that one. But the other question fresh in my mind is we're dealing with a fishery where the water level changes, man made wise changes. If you see a fish rising and the water level's going up or down, do they, does that put them down? Or Puts them down, yeah. It does. Absolutely, yeah. It, really? Yeah. To my, in my experience, there has been times where it hasn't. There has been a couple times where the fishing uh, got a little better. But most of the time I find that once that water goes up, you know. How about down? You must have down, been, I think been there down, when it, I, all I, of a sudden you're like, how freaking low is it going to go, it right? It seems like when it goes down, it's better. Than when it goes up, like as far as fish still rising. Or, okay. Or, yeah, in my, in my experience, I don't know if that's, you know, hundred percent true or not, but it's you, you know, can I mean, you can draw a lot of theories from it, right? Because if the water comes up, you think like, oh, it's washing stuff off the bank. There's terrestrials. There's all kinds of stuff. The fishing should be good. It's going to mm-hmm. release nymphs. Or maybe they're staying under the water more. Because like I said, a lot of times I'm yeah. dry fly fishing. I like to watch, you know. But I can tell you that I agree with you. I have noticed that when the water goes down, I don't know if it forces the fish in, into an area. You know, there's less water. And um, I think that, that as an observer, it's easier to think where the fish might be. Maybe yeah. that helps a bit. I can tell you um, that I've been on... I've been to a number of places with guides where they they know there's fish there and they can see the fish and they actually have 
spook the hole on purpose. They have walked through the hole to get the fish to scatter. Then the fish will come back and start feeding. Oh, so okay. I often wonder if when they when the water drops that the fish move into a different position and it kicks their it kicks them into feed mode. I'm and, not yeah. sure. And I but, don't know like the nymphing part of it. Like I'm not a big nympher. I do nymph once in a while, so I don't know if it wouldn't you know, that part of it I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, Mike, I can't, I don't know a secret to this, and I don't know if you do, but this is the marking fish question. Like, if I'm on the bank and I see a fish rise, I try to triangulate in some way where the fish rose. Because when you're on the bank and you see the fish rise, I, I'm just going to tell you, I never wait out. And I can tell where the fish was rising. My perspective changes. I don't know if it's just me or whatever. What do you mean when you're like farther away from it and then you try... You're sitting on the bank, you see a fish rise. Now you wade and it looks different. Do you have a secret on how you might mark a fish so that... That's always a little difficult too, especially if you're way upstream and you see something in that flat water dimple and you're like way away from it. And then, yeah, by the time you walk halfway there, you're like, where where am I? You know, yeah. And then you're afraid you're going to spook them. Yeah, so what I try and do is I try and pick out a, a on the bank. I'll try and pick out a rock or a tree or a something. Some mark. To kind yeah. of, you know. And then I'll always fish. I'll pick that and I'll always start sooner. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, so so that, you know, my chances of going over the fish, I'm not past it. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So yes. you always, that's you know, good advice. So that's, you know. Um, and oftentimes I would imagine, I mean, that happens with me is if I'm stealthy I'll get to where I think they're going to be, and almost always they rise where I didn't think they were. Mm-hmm. But if you are careful and you don't spook them, they'll show themselves again, and you'll have an idea where yeah. you are. I mean, you always try and stay as far away as you can from the fish, but then that's always, I mean, the hardest thing about fly fishing to me is, 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 the, is the whole, um, um, you know, the drift, mm-hmm. you know, with, with you know, drag-free drift, that's the whole hardest thing especially when you're casting far to a fish because the farther you cast it's harder to get a longer so casting drag free drift you know what i mean so casting to fish and leader length and stuff like that are you uh you know i think there's like a there's different terms for like a steeple cast or whatever where you're forcing slack into your line are you are you uh throwing a lot of slack in your cast or a men person like what's your what's your i always throw a lot of uh, sometimes too much slack because when you that's that's the way I do it. Because it to me it just gives kind of a more natural drift. It's not easy if you got too much slack and the fish rises and, and the fish you know takes your fly and you got you know set the hook you 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 know you might lose right you know opportunity there. But I'm more of a slack kind of I guess. So what do you do when you know where the fish is? You cast your fly. You did something wrong, and you can calculate that. The fly's going to start swinging. It's going to start skating. It's going to it's going to drift bad, right around when it's over the fish. Yeah, you have that happened. freaky moment where you're like, "Should I pick up? Should I not?" What do you got? I just what, what I just kind of stretch my arm out as far as I can and try and get as best of a drift without a drag free. So you don't you know, if, you don't I pick don't, up. Not right? necessarily. You know, I mean, I'm sure I do sometimes. If if I think I can pick the line up before the fish, then I will. You know, but yeah. if I if it's gonna already going over the fish, I don't know. I just feel like if I bring the rod back and it'll make it'll cause yeah. you know. So I just try and lean out maybe and just try and get as far as it, you know. But drift. your advice would be 
yeah, lean out, try to do everything you can, get the fly past them, and then pick right, up. Right, right. That's, I mean, like I said, that's How close cool. have you had fish next to you that you've caught? Pretty close. I mean, in high water, I've had fish that were rising kind of in front of me, and you had to just kind of drop it right in front of you, and, you know. Isn't it surprising sometimes how close they are? Yeah. And that was a couple summers ago when the water was high for a while, and the fishing was pretty good. And uh, so fish were rising, right? This was during a hatch. Your fish were rising right in front of me. I think it was a white fly hatch, actually. Really? It still really, happens? This was about three year, two or three years ago. Okay. I, I hit it pretty good in September. I forget if it was the end of September. Or being I forget when it was. It's usually end, yeah. And, of course, I don't have any white flies. I don't, but I just use a Cahill. I mean, it's white. Mm-hmm. You know, and it looked just like the flies yeah. that were, you know. And I caught a nice one that day. In fact, that was a fish that was rising real close. The reason I say this is because I have Euronymph with some people. And it's fresh on my brain because it was, in fact, this year that I I saw someone Euronymph and caught fish so close. And when you're Euronymphing, you're pretty much like fishing the length of the rod and maybe a little bit more. And I could not believe how many fish were caught from this angler that were within... 11, 12 feet of of their feet. Yeah. Amazing to me. Just amazing to me. And when fish are rising and stuff, depending on the water, their cone of vision can get quite small. So you can kind of sneak up on them. Yeah. But that fish that you caught, that big that big boy, was it was it male or female? I think it was a male. It, it looked a like a male, on. yeah. yeah. Um, how, far, how far of a cast was that? Well, that one, you know, little by little I was creeping trying to creep up as close as I can and then when you know when the when the when the lighting changes you could feel like you can maybe get up a little closer um not real far it was probably you know we probably waited in maybe I was a quarter to a halfway in the water and the fish was rising on the other side of the bay so how many feet I'd say 25 feet oh that's so that's yeah. pretty that's pretty close yeah the Delaware though you're bombing casts out on but I start time. out I mean you try and start out yeah yeah further, but um so I'm gonna I want to change gears and talk a little bit about um, how what like what fly fishing means to you and stuff like that a little bit more philosophical discussion why why do you like it well it's like it's um, uh, you know that's a good question and and it's like when we go back to the whole um, being outside nature um, you know what people want to do all the time, you, you know, is when you go on vacation, you want to go where there's water, where there's woods, where there's, you know, mm-hmm. and we're kind of doing that all the time. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, um, you feel lucky that you uh, like something, you know, that much that involves all that, you know, nature mm-hmm. and animals and birds and all kinds of stuff. So it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, and it never from the time you're five till now, it, it never changes. Like, it's always that same excitement. Is it, you know? That's a good point. And it's... No one's ever said that. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, you... you it, it doesn't change. And it's, you know, like I said, you, you're involved in a lot. Of, you probably got into a lot of hobbies in your life where you don't care about them anymore. That's you true. You don't do them anymore. But yes. But fishing's in your blood. It's in, you know, it's something that not only do you do it, but you think about it, you talk about it. You read about it, and it's... Well, you're talking about the anticipation and the excitement about being outside in the woods, 
and being outside in nature. And you're right, that's ageless. Mm-hmm. You never really mature out of that. Um, I sometimes have gotten frustrated with myself that I fish so long and, and have done so much fishing that sometimes I kind of like mentally screw with myself because I think like I can catch a fish faster. I should be able to catch a fish faster because I have experience. But you don't. And, right. you know, you think like, ah, oh, I could just, I can make, there should be a fish there. I should cast a couple times. There isn't one. I'll just keep moving. And when you force yourself to slow back down, you, yeah. uh, you find yourself catching fish again. And that's where like, that's, that's where you mature in a bad way in regards to your fishing experience. I'm not a hunter per se, but I would imagine that there are some hunters that think like they've, they've hunted so much that they should be able to like decrease the time it takes to go get a buck or something like that when the truth is you can't do that right yeah you know that doesn't change right and it depends on where you're fishing too i mean if you're fishing you know i mean there are times when you're fishing certain especially like for steelhead you know if you're in a spot first thing in the morning if you don't catch fish you're like oh boy this is bad yeah you know yeah because that's when you usually will hit a fish is first thing in the morning and if there's fish in front of you but the fly fishing, like the dry fly fishing, is a different. It's kind of a different experience. A different. It's, it's almost the opposite. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's always something that just kind of. Like I can, like I said, I, the best analogy, I I you, I can not fish for three years and it'll still be my favorite thing to do. Right. You know. How about uh, as you get older, do you find yourself getting more excited? Because you don't have the time to fish like you used to? Like, when you know you're going to go, is it kind of like an internal event? Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, you, you, yeah. I mean, it's always like life, you know, work and, and, and kids and everything. And and you got to balance it. And so, and then the water conditions. So it's always, you know, when you, when yeah. you know you're going to go and if things are going to be right, it's always, a, you know. I, I mean, geez, Mike, you know, 15 15, 20 years ago, when we were seeing each other in the fly shop, it was not uncommon for us to fish two, three days a week, nights a yeah. week. So it wasn't really like, it was like no big deal. You know, you you would, and I remember I would, I would be with friends that were older and they would almost envy people like us because we'd be like, yeah, we're, of course we're going to fish this week. Why wouldn't we? Right. And then you get older and you have kids and you're like, man, I'm going to fish this Thursday because it's my day off right. and you're waiting for it and you're yeah. anticipating it yeah. for a while. Yeah, and the, the excitement doesn't go away. Like I said, the, the thing that's that's the and the ambition to get up those early, early hours and drive out to the river and get a spot like three hours before day, daylight has diminished a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, because you're basically, by the time it's light, you're, you know, you're ready to, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, uh, well, um, well, yeah. it's it's a good it's a good talk. We've talked about your fishing on the tribs and stuff, and um, and then you've you've kind of uh, you're, it seems like you're internally fighting between the solitude of of uh, yeah fishing where there aren't people, and then the excitement of a big fish. But right. the big fish places are crowded, and that's kind of like eh. Right. I'm not sure I want to do that anymore. Is that what's yeah, going gets, through you? Yeah, it gets hard because you you're you're you it becomes nerve you're nervous, you're stressed, 
uh, just on your way to the river because you you know that you you know <laughs> that's not good that's that not what, got, that's what we're like, trying to know, do no, right yeah right so you know you got your waders on you got six layers on just so when you park the car you can run down to the river have you done and that's have you, you know, done spring or fall um, fishing in the Adirondacks no but I'd like to I'll get, take you know, no I'd like to get up there there are some the, the Adirondacks is really really cranking some great fish specifically brook trout in the spring, uh, ice off in the ponds and in the rivers in the spring, huge fish. And um, and this fall, the fish that I saw, I didn't get to fish that much. I, I, I did it a little too early with the family and stuff. So the water was still a little warm. So we were like deliberately trying to go out and get some big fish in the fall. But in September, it was still pretty hot. So end of September, October, some of the fish, even I saw uh, my buddy Scott showed some pictures he got even just uh, last weekend. But I gotta take you. I yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, and then you, like you said, there, there you have the, the whole experience of being the Adirondacks and that whole. We got that little eight foot yeah. four weight over there. You get a, you yeah. get a, you get a 16, 18, 20 inch brook trout, stream yeah. brook trout on that thing. You're gonna be. Yeah, that's, that's a nice little ride. How, is, how is that not that. as exciting as right. it, you know? Like I said, it's relative. Like I said, I've gotten just as excited catching those fish. 20-inch fish on that little, you know, dry fly and, and the light, light tackle as you do one of these. They are beautiful. There's no but, doubt. Um, you know, we're looking at these big steelhead and browns and Atlantics on your wall. There's no doubt that it's cool that they're so big, but you got to kind of put your mind in the right, in the right spot because, you know, catching a 14, 16-inch small stream brook trout on a two-weight is pretty fun. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's, yeah, because you're scaling everything down and it's... Just as it's a cool. stream, stream. Well, let's make that happen. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks for yeah. meeting with me at your place. This is really cool. It's been fun to be able to go back out and see people, you know, and the podcast is fun to do this with everybody and see them again. I haven't seen you in years. I think yeah, the last no, time I saw just, you was yeah. at the vet. Yeah. was a really fun conversation with Mike and he touched upon two things that I just want to recap on he was talking about relativity in regards to you know catching the steelhead and and also catching a brook trout on a three weight for example it's relative the other thing that he talked about was the fact that the excitement that you have about going outside is ageless and I think that that is really cool and it's a great insight it's a great in the scene wisdom point and I never would have thought about that unless I had this conversation with Mike Grazaday so I hope you had a good time listening to this if you look on our social media you'll see some pictures of the, some fish that Mike caught there's a steelhead on there there's also a huge brown trout that he got particularly the story that he talked about in this podcast so thanks so much for checking in uh if you don't mind take what i guess you'd call a backcast and take a look back at our conversation with uh uh pogo pike talking about pike fishing i thought that was a great episode we didn't see too much traffic on it i think probably because of the holidays and stuff but take a look back at the previous episode and again um listen it's january and uh let's be honest spring's right around the corner and uh, if you want a small stream fly rod or uh, any other fly rod for that matter, please check us out at jprossflyrods.com. That's why we're here. That's what supports this podcast. And uh, remember our mantra, get outside, simply fish, 
and be happy. Thanks a lot, folks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.